Is it true? Is it, I wonder if it's true that uh, in tough times, when times are hard, that it's women rather than men who proactively get on with it. Is it true that it's women who will pick up the pieces and just get stuff done? I wonder if it's true that without ceremony and without praise, it's generally women who just say, we just need to get on and do things. Well, according to uh, a recent survey during lockdown, that's what it looks like. That's how it looks to me. That uh, we need to reflect on why it's women who still do most of the childcare. Uh, as lockdown bites, it's women who are taking the strain. Notion, the notion, the old notion, the, the notion that a woman's place is in the home is back in an aggressive way, says the United Nations. Well, it's not always true, but there is truth in that idea, I think. And also, we see, often we see in the Bible that it's the resoluteness, the determination of ordinary women to get things done that makes things happen. To get things done without ceremony and without praise that moves the story forward. In fact, the vast majority of people, as you will, I'm sure, know that we talk about in the Bible, are men, aren't they? Almost all men, probably 95% of our sermons, of our Bible studies, are about men. Uh, Often warriors, kings, uh, prophets, Jesus. Uh, And often, they're important people. Many of the people we don't talk about for various reasons, and a lot of those, often it's because they are women. And that's because the Bible is a book that was written in what we call patriarchal times. In other words, dominated by men, ruled by men. That's how the world was at the time. And in fact, our theology, the way that we understand the Bible, the way that our faith has grown and developed... Over the last centuries, our theology comes almost entirely from when men, uh, Western European men. Nevertheless, although it, it is set in very patriarchal times, and the Bible is a book written by men, often about men, nevertheless, in the Bible there are, in fact, many women influencers and even leaders. They're just below the surface. Sometimes you have to look for them. We've seen a couple already on our Bible tour, haven't we? If you remember in the very first week, I think, uh, the first person to have a conversation with God and to name God, to give God a name, is a woman. It's actually a slave girl, Hagar. And just this week, in the last couple of days, if you're following, you've come across these five sisters. These five sisters who are, because they have no male uh, relatives, they've all died, they're about to lose their land and their inheritance. And they go to Moses and they say, this isn't right. Just because we're women, we've lo- we're losing our name, we're losing our inheritance. Moses goes to see the God and God says, they're right. And so the law of Israel is changed because of five brave women. So here too, in these next few weeks, we have the opportunity to focus on two women in particular. Two proactive, intensely practical women called Ruth and Naomi. Let's think about the setting before we get into the story. This story of Ruth and Naomi is set about 3,000 years ago. It's in a time that we call the Judges. It's a dark and difficult period for the nation of Israel. See, before, uh, well before Israel had a king, they had uh, rulers, uh, people who were judges. One of them, in fact, was a woman. And these judges pretty much set, set the agenda This time of Judges is possibly Israel's most violent and dark period. 
I haven't checked, but my opinion would be that the book of Judges is probably the most violent book in the Bible. Just, if you don't believe me, just try reading the last three chapters when you go home. It's a dark and awful time. We do have in the book of Judges some points of light, some famous characters like Gideon that Chloe reminded of earlier, or Samson. But overall, this period of time is a brutal time. It's a time when ancient Israel had many enemies outside and many enemies from within and almost came to the point of disintegrating as a nation. And it is into this intensely dark and violent world that we find the peaceful story of Ruth and Naomi. Ruth, you see, is the story of two women and their struggle for survival. They are not... Uh, kings or rulers or warriors or prophets. They're ordinary women. But as we will see, they are intensely proactive, pragmatic women who take steps to make things happen, to improve their situation, rather than waiting for someone to improve it for them. And we will see, as they proactively and, and pragmatically pick up the pieces and get on, we will see how God comes alongside them. In, in, in all kinds of ways, we will see God's hand creating godly coincidences that, that actually, in the end, mean that their story for struggle, their story for survival, becomes caught up and an integral part of God's big story of the Bible. <clears throat> and remember as well that <clears throat> Ruth is a peaceful story, but it's not an easy story. This is not simply a love story, as some might suggest. It is not even simply a story of rags to riches. It's much more than that. The book of Ruth, in fact, as I think you will see, I hope you will see, is about uncommon loyalty. It's about deep devotion. It's about unstinting determination of these two women. And perhaps overall, it's about the light that it's about the light of two women that shines out bright in an intensely dark period for Israel. It's a story of redemption, as we will see, a story that actually ends in a wonderful way, pointing to the birth of Christ. But that's all to come. Let's head into, the, head into this story then, <clears throat> of these two <clears throat> very human but very determined women. And so, as John said, for the next five Sundays, we'll be look, reading through the book of Ruth, Uh, a chapter at a time. We'll also be following it on the tour. Uh, That will also uh, coincide with our our sermons. So today, as we look at chapter 1, I want you to just ask this question. I'll be asking the question, how different was Ruth's world to our world? How different was that world? 3,000 years ago in the time of Judges. Surely it was completely different. Well, let's see. So chapter 1 tells us a man from Bethlehem and his wife There's famine in Bethlehem. There's famine in Israel. So they go to this country called Moab. And uh, you'll see on this map that basically, if you see, there's the Dead Sea in the middle. And just to the left is Judah and Israel. And there's Bethlehem. And so they must have headed north, crossed the River Jordan at Jericho, then headed south into this foreign territory called Moab. An ordinary working family in need of food, desperate for food, man and wife. They set up home, and and they have two sons. The four of them are a family, but sadly, the man dies. Elimelech, he's called, he dies. So the two boys grow up in this foreign land with their mother, and they marry local women, 
called Orpah and Ruth, two local women. But then further tragedy strikes, great tragedy. Both of the boys, grown-up boys, also die. So basically, all the men have died out of the six of them, and all who's left is just three women. Naomi, the mother-in-law, and Orpah and Ruth, the daughters-in-law, three women left. So we see this multiple tragedy because the, the, the women as well haven't had children. They are childless at this point. And there's this multiple tragedy in the first few verses of famine, three deaths and childlessness. And again, just thinking about our time, how different was Ruth's world to ours? There was famine, death and childlessness. But we also have multiple tragedies in our time, don't, they? don't we? Multiple tragedies strike us and our families too. We all have deaths in our family. Some of you <clears throat> have had to cope with multiple deaths in your family in a short period of time. It's incredibly hard. Some of you are having to deal with childlessness. It's incredibly hard. So back to the story. The three women are left, Naomi and the two daughters. What can they do? in this patriarchal, male-dominated and violent world. It's not possible to stay in this foreign country, Naomi decides. But then she hears good news. The famine back in Israel has subsided. It seems to have ended, and there's food. So she takes her first pragmatic decision. We're going to go back. It's several days' walk through, through the deserts and through the mountains, narrow, steep paths, dangerous. And as three women they would be very vulnerable. Remember, this is not an easy period for for this land. Traveling in ancient times was hard, and it was often dangerous, especially for women traveling alone in a lawless place. But once again, how different is our world today? How different is our world today? Here are some headlines from earlier this year. Uh, Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London, says London streets are not safe for women or girls. And uh, the New York Times, talking of the situation in London, says after Sarah Everard's killing, women's groups want change, not just more police. And actually we see that in in 3,000 years, in some ways, the world has improved immeasurably. But perhaps in other ways, it really hasn't. It really hasn't. This book is set in a very different time to ours, and yet some things are not as different as we might think or might like to believe. There are still occasions for us to reflect on our society and wonder how much progress have we really made. So back to the story. These three women set out, and then Naomi realizes there's no future for these two girls. How can they have? They're two foreign girls I'm taking back to Israel. So she stops and tries to persuade them to go back to their own homes. Go back to your own home, she says. Go back to your mothers and fathers. You may find new husbands. You may do. What can I offer you? And then this story reaches a wonderful but moving and emotional climax. In verse 9 and verse 14, the three women, in their grief, cling to each other and they weep aloud. They weep together, mourning for the lives they've lost, mourning for what could have been, mourning because they don't know what the future now holds for them. Naomi wants to do what's best. She wants to send them home for a chance of marrying again. And she even wishes a godly, she's a godly woman, 
and she wishes a godly blessing onto them. In verse 9, we read, Naomi says to them, Go back to your own land. You may find husbands. And may the Lord, that the Lord, the God of Israel, show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And then more grief. Then she kissed them goodbye and once again they weep aloud. A terribly moving story. Now Orpah obeys finally and leaves. But Ruth literally, read verse 14, she literally clings, holds on to Naomi. She doesn't want to leave her. And the grief reaches a climax. Ruth is determined to stay with Naomi. Where you go, I will go, she says. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And yes, your God will be my God. I'm not going to leave you. In choosing this course, Ruth is choosing a sacrificial course and to show kindness to her mother-in-law and sacrificing possibly her own future. Ruth refuses also to go back to her own gods, the gods of Moab, the false gods of Moab. She chooses instead to adopt, to take on Naomi's god. And she even swears an oath using God's name, the Lord, with a capital L. That's a name that we give to our God, the Jewish God, the God of the Christians in the Bible. And she says in verse, uh, well, I haven't got the verse, but she says there, may the Lord deal with me ever so severely if even, if even death separates you and me, the Lord, the God of Israel. So finally Naomi thinks, this, I can't, I've done everything I can, I can't make you go. They're still both weeping. And Naomi finally gives in and allows the grieving Ruth to stay with her, even though there seems to be no future for Ruth. Now, ironically, Naomi will be proven to be wrong. In fact, Ruth will meet a man of great character, and they'll have a child who becomes very important. But right now, two women crying in the desert with their belongings strewn around them, that, that's, a mile, that's miles away. That's another world. They can't imagine. That's beyond their wildest dreams. So finally, they take this journey of several days' walk, and they finally arrive back in Naomi's old hometown. Pragmatic and practical, proactively getting on with it in the face of immense grief. And they end up back in Naomi's old hometown of Bethlehem. Bethlehem, the focus of stories still to come. And so I've made several comparisons between this book and our world as we've gone through today. And there's one more, one last comparison that I want to make before we end. There's an obvious but very striking feature of this book, and that is that Ruth and Naomi were ordinary people living in very difficult, in fact, unique times. We also are very ordinary people living in difficult and very unique times. Ruth and Naomi lived through a dark period in their nation's history. Today, you also, we also are living through a dark period in our nation's history. Ordinary people in extraordinary times in the Bible but ordinary people in extraordinary times today. 
Just like Ruth and Naomi, there are decisions that we can choose to take. We see, that we see two women, Ruth and Naomi, proactively getting on with it in the most difficult of circumstances. Instead of sitting around to see if someone can help, they make plans, proactively get on with it. And we start to see godly coincidences from next week. We start to see the hand of God. God comes alongside their plan, their proactive good plan, and makes things happen. Godly coincidences that seem to happen by chance alongside the deliberate actions of these two women, working in conjunction of their determination. And it's this combination, I think, this combination of their planning, their proactiveness, their pragmatism, their womanly practicality, and God saying, I will honor that and come alongside that, and things will happen which you cannot yet imagine. It takes hard work, but God honors them in ways they can't imagine. In our world too, which isn't as different as we think from Naomi's world, Naomi, resolute, resolute and determined acts by godly people can have huge consequences beyond what we can imagine. So in closing, we also are a people, an ordinary people living in extraordinary times. Many of you in this last year have already demonstrated extraordinary determination. Many of you have, did, have already demonstrated extraordinary loyalty and commitment to those around you. So remember the smallest acts to be positive that you take today, the smallest step, the smallest to do something constructive for yourself or for someone close to you, to make things better for them, is being proactive. That is being proactive. And be assured that the small acts you commit to in these difficult days really can have huge consequences, even eternal consequences, which we cannot yet see. Maybe eternal consequences, something that God can and will use to bring good beyond what you can see. So there we have it. Chapter 1 ends with this, uh, just this lovely tantalizing glimpse, doesn't it? These last few words I love, where um, Naomi and Ruth arrive back in Bethlehem just as the barley harvest was beginning. Just as the barley harvest was beginning. But as they say, that's the story for another day.